Good morning, Oceanside Church. Uh, so excited to be sharing with you on this beautiful Sunday morning. Um, trusting that God is going to speak to us in His Word today, um, that He would take something that we may already know and reveal something to us that we do not yet know. Um, I've just been reflecting this week on the passage out of Mark 2, a story that we really do know well. Um, it says this in verse 2. Uh, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that He had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And the question I would like to put uh, before you this morning is this, is that are we willing to look past the obvious issue in order to identify the bigger issue? I think in the world that we're in right now, it's so easy to see restriction and regulation and to hear so many different opinions. And yet, what I'm wondering is, is can we as the church look past all of these different things and actually see the opportunity in it? There's another passage in John 4, and and it's in this place where Jesus has this incredible interaction with a lady who would have deemed herself unworthy of his presence. You know, Jesus is tired, he's at this well, and his disciples have gone into the town to get some food, and and while he's there, he runs into this woman and, and basically tells this woman things that no one should have known about her. And in return, she goes and tells a village of people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. But you can imagine what this looked like to the disciples when they come back to Jesus with food and say, you know, come on, let's eat, you know, eat this food, get your sustenance, all these things. And to see all these people coming to him from a place that should not have had people coming to him. And I can imagine the disciples thinking like, no, 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 this is all wrong. Wrong place, wrong people, wrong timing. This is not right. And yet Jesus, in response to his disciples, says this, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe unto harvest. You know, a a few years ago, we had Tyron with us, Tyron Daniel. And and Tyron is an amazing man of God. He's been an influential, um, pivotal voice for our community, Oceanside Church. His dad helped our beloved Mike Graves and Deb Deb Graves um, plant this church. And it's amazing that he was visiting Nanaimo a few years ago. and, And a bunch of churches from all over Canada were here. And we were listening to him speak. And we were excited. And at the time, Oceanside was growing, thriving. We were excited. Lots 
of good things were happening. And he stood and he said, you know, my question for you today is not how is your church? He said, my question for you is how is your city? And that question stuck with me. And it's the question I've been thinking about this week is how would our city feel or would they even know if we as a community disappeared? And I think it's easy for us to look at the church subjectively and think, well, how would the world be if the church disappeared? And it's very easy for us to, in a sense, to remove that issue from ourselves personally. But C.S. Lewis um, writes this, um, this little quote in, in his book called The Problem of Pain. And I think it's very pertinent for what I'm saying. He says that, Beware lest you are making use of the idea of corporate guilt to distract your attention from those humdrum, old-fashioned guilts of your own which have nothing to do with the system and human wickedness which can be dealt with without waiting for the millennium. For corporate guilt perhaps cannot be and certainly is not felt with the same force as personal guilt. For most of us, as we now are, this conception is a mere excuse for evading the real issue. When we have really learned to know our individual corruption, then indeed we can go on to think of the corporate guilt and can hardly think of it too much. What I'm not trying to steer us towards right now is a feeling of um, self-reflection that would either lead to condemnation or to pride, saying, oh, we're doing an amazing job or we're not doing good enough. Instead, what I would like us to say and ask ourselves is not would our city miss our corporate church, but actually, if we as individuals disappeared from our sphere of influence, from our neighbors, from our coworkers, whatever it is, would those people and those individuals miss us as a beacon of light and hope, as an extension of Jesus Christ to those areas in our lives around us? Would there be a gap? You know, obviously right now the world sees chaos and confusion, but, but do we as the church see opportunity in our day-to-day lives? You know, Paul, the apostle, understood this, and and that's why he wrote to the church in Ephesus. He says this in Ephesians uh, 1. He says, I ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally, your eyes focused and clear, so that you can see exactly what it is he is calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven, in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. And I don't know if there's ever been a more convenient time for us as people to hide behind this concept of corporate guilt, to project our own personal inner frustrations on what is happening in our society and our culture, 
and globally. But what I want to encourage us with is this, is that when the world sees chaos and confusion, are we as Christ followers, as the church, taking our place at the center of what God is doing? This is what Paul was writing in in the book of Ephesus. He says, in the book of Ephesus, sorry, he says, at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church is not peripheral to the world but the world is peripheral to the church. In other words, the church is at the center, the very center of what it is that God, that Christ is building. When the world sees chaos and confusion, are we offering comfort and clarity? A message of hope. You know, I don't know about you, but last week when Mike was talking about the junction becoming a public park for the people in our community. I was so excited. I thought this is amazing because this is an opportunity for us to use something that God has put in our hands and to not just use it for our inner good, for our own community, for the OCRs, but in fact, to use what he's put in our hands as an extension of the kingdom to shed a light to people who live on Jinglepot and Holland and Twiggly Wiggly and all those weird other street names around where we live and further. Um, But to just to see the junction become a beacon of light for a place of gathering where people can come and be um, can enjoy fellowship and community and find all the things that they are missing in this time of utter isolation and segregation and I'm excited because it helps me see that there is hope for the church for you and I there's avenues there's opportunities where we can step in and be Christ to the people around us I want to go back to this passage that, that, that we, we started with where Jesus is, is um, talking to this paralytic man. Because I can imagine that in that moment, there was an elephant in the room. This man's coming through the roof. That would have really taken all the attention of this crowded house. And yet, when he comes down quite apparently paralyzed, Jesus says something to him that doesn't seem to deal with the external issue. Instead, Jesus responds with the unlikely. And so the Bible says this as well, and and these are Jesus's words. He says, it is out of the heart that the mouth speaks. And he also says, it's not what enters a man that makes him unclean, but it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. And I don't know what all the monologues or dialogues that took place with this man as he was lowered through the roof. But what about the rest of his life? What about his history, how he was born? What about his parents, his, his you know, related family, how they would have had thoughts and ideas as to why he was paralyzed? I don't know if he was in an accident. I don't know if it was something that happened at a very, very young age. But what we do know is that um, when Jesus speaks to him, he doesn't say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. He says that eventually, but what he says is that your sins are forgiven. See, Jesus was identifying the issue of the man's heart. I don't know if this guy had put so much weight on this this being paralyzed or if his parents had put pressure on him saying, it's, you you know, someone's punishing, God is punishing you, or it's because of this or because of that. We don't know all the reasons that this man grew up with, all the baggage that came with these things. He must have thought that the only thing holding him back from being an incredible, amazing person in life was his faulty legs. And yet Jesus is revealing something more profound, is that there was something more broken about this man than his body. It was actually the condition of his heart. 
And it reminded me that when we as the church can so easily get caught up in the noise, who, why are his legs this way? Was it because of this? Was it something that happened? Was it a sin? Was it, and said, no, Jesus saying, no, there's something more important at stake. And I think that is what Jesus is wanting to bring to our attention as his church, is that he is wanting to remind us that we can lay aside obvious issues to identify the bigger issues. You see, it's so easy to talk about what's happening in our world at the moment, but we as Christians have to be, I mean, if we can recite the facts and we can make a case so strongly and get so passionate about why we should or should not wear a mask, why we um, should believe COVID is real or not believe COVID is real, why it's as harmful as we think or not as harmful, if we can get so passionate about those kind of world issues and yet we find ourselves so lack of passion when it comes to revealing the gospel to a world that needs hope, that's when we need to start taking a temperature check. Because Jesus is coming back for a bride and he's coming back for a church of power and authority. When the apostles were faced with opposition, they didn't run and hide away, but instead they ran to it. Uh, Mike said to us this week, you know, in wisdom, he said, it's interesting that Jesus never ran away from sickness and disease. He ran to it. Why? Because he redeemed it. He brought wholeness to the situation. Jesus is coming back for a church that is going to bring wholeness to a world. Your world needs you to be an outward-focused Christ follower. My world needs me to be an outward-focused Christ follower. If Jesus says that the fields are ripe unto harvest, then we, the church, need also believe to see the fields ripe unto harvest. And I just pray for us individually that we would be people who hear and respond to what God is doing. The fields are ripe unto harvest. People need hope. People need connection. People need relationship. And it has never been an easier time, in a sense, to connect with the people around us, to reveal hope to them in a world that is dying. And Lord, I just pray that you would give us boldness, that you would give us courage to step into everything that you have for us. Lord, that we wouldn't shy away from the opportunities that you put before us. Lord, we wouldn't turn a blind eye to them, Lord, but that we would be open, that our hearts would be soft, that we would begin to hear your voice in a tangible way and act on the things that you're putting inside of us. Lord, I pray that you would move in power. Lord, that we would believe for the miraculous, for people that need breakthrough. Lord, for the sins of the closet, I pray that you would bring breakthrough in the lives of people in our community and in our city, that we would be able to reach out and extend hope to people who are without hope. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our midst, Lord. We thank you that you are establishing Oceanside Church in our city. And I pray that we would be a beacon of light to those who come across our path. In Jesus' name.